Good to see you guys here. We are going to be finishing Acts tonight, so turn to Acts chapter 28. I almost feel gypped with the book of Acts because it just kind of ends. And it's like, I want it to keep going. You know, the last portion where kind of a biography of Paul's life and we've been following him and his, his conversion, his ups, his downs, and his wanting to make it to Rome since chapter 19. We're going to see here he makes it to Rome and then it kind of ends. And we don't get to see what happens. We'll talk a little bit about what happens. But let's recap where we left off in chapter 27. We had 276 people. They made it to the island of Malta, as we're going to see, through a storm. The, these guys are sitting there, knees knocking, teeth chattering, bones shivering, finally making it to land after two weeks lost at sea, not knowing where they were, just drifting. Finally, they make it to shore. Paul was instrumental in them getting there. God, through an angel, appeared to him and said, you will make it and testify to Caesar, but you got to stay on board. Some people tried to escape, and he told the centurion, Julius, hey, you got to stay on board. And pretty soon, Paul was pretty much in charge of the trip. He was pretty much telling, hey, these guys got to stay. Hey, we got to stay together. And he broke bread, gave thanks, and they were encouraged. And so now they, they make it to shore. They land on this beach. And that's where we find ourselves. In verse 1, chapter 28, it says, once safely on shore, we, which means Luke is still with them, found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging... There's a picture for you. Hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Quick change there, you know. This guy's a murderer. He's a god, you know, instantly like that. Well, it isn't uncommon. We saw that take place with Paul in chapter 14, where, again, they saw works done by his hand, and they said, this must be a god with us, as the miraculous was done. As we get this picture of them landing here, remember the number that's there. It's not just a few guys. There's 276 of them that are in shore. The islanders are showing unusual kindness and that they're helping 276 people to take care of themselves. And one of the things that stands out to me in verse 3 is that Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and started helping. Paul is one of the prisoners, and he doesn't just sit there and say, well, you guys, you know, I helped you get ashore. Remember, if it wasn't for me, you'd all be dead. Can someone get me my coat, please? It's a bit chilly here. You know, yes, a little more to the right. The wind's blowing from you know this direction. We don't see him getting this prima donna attitude. He starts getting in there and starts helping, starts making a fire, 
contributing to the benefit of everyone. And I think, what a great example. I mean, this guy's my hero. I just see him and I think, man, what a great example all the time. Just a great example of, of what it is to, to be a follower of Christ and to have the right attitude. And what comfort it is to see someone in his position show the heart of a servant. That, that's always been something that you long to see. And many times we hear about, or maybe we've even seen, those who are in positions of authority don't have hearts of servants. They want to be served rather than serve, which is so contrary to the person of Jesus. I recently shared with a, a young man who had just been ordained as a pastor, and I wrote him a little note saying, you know, remember that the title pastor, like the title Christian, has with it the context, the image of our Lord. Christian means little Christ. Well, pastor reflects the good shepherd, Jesus. And so when someone says you're a pastor, remember that that means you represent the pastor, Jesus. And if you represent the pastor, Jesus, remember that he was a servant. That he didn't come to serve but served and gave himself a ransom for many. And so, I think someone's trying to sell candy at the door. Were they selling candy? Wow, they could have made a, <laughs> could have made a fortune. But the idea of pastor has with it the context of who Jesus is. And here Paul has this attitude of a servant. What, what overwhelming, you know, response that is to be able to see someone in authority being a servant and of course the picture you know you think Paul just gets shipwrecked he's there gathering bush and all of a sudden a snake latches onto him bam I'd freak out you know but Paul doesn't he just shakes it off into the fire oh and it's almost at this point with what this guy has been through this is the third time he's been shipwrecked He's been beaten how many times, left for dead, stoned, thought to be dead. This guy has gone through it. And after going through it, he's been told by the Lord twice now, you're going to testify to me in Rome, you're going to testify before Caesar. And so I could just see him getting the bush and then a snake latches on because, oh yeah, that's good. I'm just shaking it off like, no, I've got to get to Rome still. This, I've been through this storm, I've been through the beatings, I know where I need to go, I know what's in front of me. And so it doesn't shake him. It doesn't move him. Don't you wish you were like that? Me too. <laughs> me too. I wish I was at a place where these things would not move me. You know, finances. Oh no. Property taxes due. Ah, ah, ah. You know, you get freaked out. You know, oh no, the air conditioner's broken. Ah, ah. You know, maybe I'm opening up too much to you guys. But you know, these things happen that just overwhelm you. Circumstances, sickness, difficulties, trials. They did not move Paul. Just been shipwrecked, a snake latches onto him, and it's there hanging from him. I love how it says it's fastened to him. And the terms that are used here, again, are very detailed because Luke is a physician, especially as we're going to see, he talks about illness. He's just keen on these things, and it's just hanging on him, and everyone's freaking out because they know he should die, but he doesn't, so they assume he must be a god, which Paul does not, again, take as an opportunity 
Well, you know, I am very close to God. You know, yes, I, I've walked dearly with God and I do have a unique relationship. We see nothing like that. In verse 7 we go on and it says, There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. Okay, let's stop there because I want you to remember, you talk about hospitality. There's 276 of them. And a bunch of them are prisoners. Okay, ladies, you interested in opening your home up? You know, okay, we're going to have some guys stay with us, honey. How, how many? Oh, 276. Why do they wear chains like that? Oh, you know, <laughs> they happen to be prisoners. But he was very hospitable to them. And what a great sign that is. Now, I'm sure it helped that Julius and a hundred Roman soldiers were there. I'm sure that made them feel more comfortable and more obliged as well. Hey, the Romans are here. They've got an army. Uh, we better open our house to them. But it, it seems to imply that he was very hospitable to them. He welcomed them in. In verse 8 it says, His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Again, here comes Luke the physician. It, it was many fevers. Actually, in the Greek, it's not just one fever. It's he suffered fever continually and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Word spreads, doesn't it? Hey, there's a guy healing sick people here. Boom, the word spreads. I wonder what would happen if people heard, hey, there's this place you can go to where people who are hurt and injured are being healed, where people who are, are lost and broken are, are being made whole. I wonder if the word would spread as well, where people would join our gatherings because God is at work. Not because, well, you know, we have great, you know, stained glass windows or something. We don't. Um, but if you contribute today, we can get a stain. No, <laughs> just kidding. People came because God was at work and they responded to the work of God and that's what draws people is when God is at work. And so what a desire it is for us to have God at work among us, healing, restoring, strengthening, touching the lives of people. And that's happening. That's happening among us. You know, Jonathan shared last week you know, some of the things that he's been through and I'm sure we could share other testimonies of what God has done and is doing in our lives. And that is what draws people, is when God is at work. And, and so here Paul heals the guy's father and then everyone in the island hears about it and so they start bringing the sick there to him. It says in verse 9, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured, verse 10, and they honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed, the supplies we needed. What a great testimony. Here they are ministering to the people, and when it's time to go, they say, what do you need? You can have what you need. We'll give you the supplies you need. They didn't have to force them. They were happy to give them to them because they took care of them. The head honcho there on the island, Publius, his father was healed. He was happy to give. He was generous for them. What I find interesting 
in these verses and what we know of Paul. Paul suffered an illness. In Corinthians, it tells us that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest by the excellent revelation that he received from God, he might think himself too high. And he prayed three times for God, take this away. Many believe it was an illness with his eyes. And they, he prayed three times, take it away. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is going to be perfected in your weakness. Paul, like Jesus, could, you know, people could say of him, you heal others, but you can't heal yourself. And, and what a strange thing it is how God would use him to heal other people, but still have to endure an illness. God, that's just not fair. You're using me to heal other people, but I'm still in this position. You know, sometimes we might find ourselves in a situation where we're struggling. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's you're raising your children and you've got problems going on with your kids and you're struggling and then someone comes up to you for advice and says, what should I do about my child? And you think, oh, I can't help you. And, you know, look, look at my home. But you know what? You can. God still might use you to encourage someone else even though you're in the midst of it. You know, I, I know what's right in this regard and I'll share with you the things I know concerning marriage, concerning raising children, concerning how you should behave at work, whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever's going on. Even though I don't feel like I'm quite qualified, even though I don't feel really able to meet that need, well, remember, Paul is sitting there healing people. I wonder, just because that's what I would be thinking, as like, God, you know, can I heal myself here? You know, I'm like healing these other people. What about me? You know, God, and I wonder when those three times occurred that he said, Lord, heal me. You know, I don't think they were in a row. Maybe there were times like this when God was working and using him and he was touching someone and he's praying and the Lord's using him to heal and he says, God, can you heal me? And when God said, no, it's okay. And so don't limit yourself to being used by God even when things are difficult. Don't think... I'm not worthy. None of us are. I can't share it. Well, yes, you can, even if there is a lack in your life. And at the same time, also understand that sometimes we're not the ones that are healed. Sometimes we go through the difficulties and we don't know why. We don't know why. I mean, my mom shared about the spot in her lung, you know, being breaking apart and... and that's great news. And we also know of Cynthia. The spots on her lung for the cancer have gone away, but the one in her liver has grown. And so I could, I could t turmoil and think, well, God, you healed her. We prayed for her, and we, we're praying for Cynthia too. What's going on? I see this much of a picture that's this big. We don't understand. But we have faith in God. And Paul, even though he himself endured illness, was used to bring healing. And he didn't stop and say, God, it's not fair, it's not fair. He was an instrument and he was a servant. He said, God, use me, I'll be used by you. And that's hard sometimes. That, that's difficult sometimes to be in that place. I, I find it difficult. Perhaps you do too. When you see everyone, it seems like everyone's doing great around you. Seems, I, I put quotations around because no one's quick to tell us what's wrong. 
Who wants to be the first to share all the problems in their life? <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> you know, we're more inclined to tell people when things are good, but when things are difficult, it's a difficult thing to share, but we see the things around us and we seem like everyone else is doing well. What about me, Lord? Why am I on the low end of things? But God sees things a lot different than we do, and we have to remember that. So in verse 11, they continue on. After three months, they were on this island for three months. Now, I, I, 276 people for three months. Would it? You have to eat. You, you know, you, you got to, well, I guess you don't got to shower, but you hopefully you want to, you know, and just it's a difficult time. This isn't Gilligan's Island. This isn't Lost. You know, I mean, this is this is difficult time. They were put up for three days at this one guy's house, but what did they do the rest of the time? I'm not sure. But they were there for three months, and we know that it was probably from November to January. We know it was after the Yom Kippur, the Passover, when they set sail, because we saw that in the last chapter. And so we know that that was in October, so it's probably November, December, and January, which are the winter months, which is when the sea would be rough, which is why they got into this circumstance in the first place. But come February, things start settling down. Come fall, they're usually able to start moving forward. And so we see after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux, which are the sons of Zeus. So on this ship, there's these two gods on the front, the sons of Zeus, that are going to head on to Rome. This ship was stayed there for the winter, just like they ended up crashing there for the winter, probably filled with wheat that would go to Rome because they were in need of this grain constantly going into the city. And so Julius, no doubt, commandeered the vehicle, said, hey, I've got these prisoners, I've got these troops, we need to get to Rome. He took charge of the ship. And so in verse 12, we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail, arrived at Regium, the next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached that place. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as from Appius and the, the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. They finally get to this place where they're heading into Rome. They're off of Sicily here, and they get onto not actually Rome itself, but into Italy, that region there. And when they landed there, the brethren heard that they were going to be there. They, they'd found some people who knew about Paul. Paul at this time had written the book of Romans, which was being circulated there in Rome, even though Paul had not yet been in Rome. So the church at Rome was familiar with his writings because it was passed all around to the church. Thousands of people had already read and know who Paul is who had never met him because his writings had preceded him. He gets there and they say, hey, Paul is here. And this is kind of, you know, when you hear that your favorite speaker or maybe your favorite musician group is going to be in your hometown, you know, hey, so-and-so is going to be, you know, David Crowder Band is going to be playing, you know, locally or whatever. You know, oh boy, I can't wait to go see them. 
And so you get all your friends, let's go see them. Well, these people went to see Paul. The two places that are mentioned here that they came from to see Paul, uh, the Forum at Appius and the Three Taverns, the Forum at Appius is 43 miles from where Paul's at, and the tavern there is 30-some miles. So 40 miles and 30 miles to go see Paul. Again, this is either by foot or donkey. Rarely is it by horse. That was usually for people well-to-do. So traveling 40 miles by foot, it's going to take you a while. 30 miles by foot, take you a little less, but still a long time. And they cared enough to want to make that journey. And I always wondered what it is that makes us want to do something. That you really desire to see someone go someplace, be a part of something. What is it that makes that desire happen? And, and do we have that where we want to get together? You know, some of you guys drove here and it took you 10 minutes, some takes 20 minutes. But why do we want to be here? You know, <laughs> Mary, I don't know. <laughs> Still trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'll let you know when it happens, but no. They wanted to be there. It reminds me of the wise men who were seeking Jesus. They traveled about a year and a half to get to the place where this baby was born. And it says that they went and they talked to the scribes in Jerusalem and said, we've seen the star. Where is the Messiah to be born? They say, oh, well, the scriptures say it's in Bethlehem. It's about five miles from here. So these men who had traveled a year and a half travel a little further, but the scribes didn't travel at all. They didn't make the effort. Oh, yeah, the Messiah, he's supposed to be born there. Let us know how it goes. Hello, you know, McFly, what's going on? I mean, why? It's just down the road. Don't you, aren't you curious? Don't you want to know what's there? Isn't there any interest? No, we'll sit here and we'll, we'll work on our scrolls and we'll, you know, we, let us know how it goes. There was no desire to go that extra distance. Even though these men, who weren't even believers, traveled a year and a half just to get to this place. I mean, it challenges me. Where's my heart? How much do I want to go and connect with God? Is it something I desire? Is it something important to me? Is it something that I see that I need? I remember one time when I was painting. My brother, a friend Dave, and myself were painting. And we were painting, I think, in Covina someplace. And all of a sudden, we got a desire for Tommies. But the only Tommies back then was in L.A., Rampart. And so for lunch, we drove from West Covina to Los Angeles to Rampart. And I remember I ate three cheeseburgers at that time. I could do that back then. We didn't get anything done the rest of the day. We were in a comatose state. But we wanted Tommy's burgers. And so in the middle of the day, we made that drive to LA just so that we something about, man, we just started talking about it, and I'm, even now, I think tonight, we might run out and get time. <laughs> there was just this desire, to, I could almost taste it, and we just had that craving, we wanted, what is it like to crave and desire God? 
to hunger and thirst for Him and say, God, I need you. I need you to speak to my life today. Would you? I'll travel to L.A. I'll travel just so I can hear your voice. Well, these men traveled 40, 30 miles to meet with Paul. And when he saw them, he was encouraged. He had probably not seen another believer besides Luke and the other companion with them for six months. And now, here they are. And he was encouraged. Seeing another believer encourages you. Someone who has something that they can give you that, that's what you really need. When Corinne and I were in Wales this last time, when we'd taken that mission trip, towards the end of the trip, we were sitting in Starbucks. It just happens to be that way. And it was a counter, and we were looking out at the window and the street that was going by, and there was a lot of things going on in our life. We were coming back to not you know, having a job and, and a lot of new things waiting for us, and we were really kind of discouraged at the end of this trip. And there was a guy who worked at Starbucks who came up to us and started talking to us who was a believer. And his name was Romy. That's his name. I don't know if it's Welsh or what, but his name was Romy. And he started talking to us and he started encouraging us. And he just shared that the Lord was with us and, and I, he gave us a psalm, I believe, that he spoke that just really lifted our spirits. And boy, what a great thing that is. A timely word that is able to refresh us. And we need that. Paul needed that. He saw these other believers and he says, Oh man, I, I'm encouraged. You guys are here. Oh, you know, I felt like I was the only one. But to see you, it lifts my spirits to know I have, I have kindred spirit in you. And they encouraged him. And, and again, what a great thing it is to see Paul being encouraged. That he himself was encouraged by these others. And then it goes on and says, verse 16, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. No doubt Julius had given Paul some good reports. The letter probably coming from Festus, the governor said, hey, this guy really hasn't done anything wrong. Julius probably said, cut this guy some slack. This guy saved our necks out there on the, the ocean. We need, you need to give him some grace here. And so Paul was allowed to live by himself except for a guard. I guess that's living by yourself except for this guy you're chained to. And these guys would every six hours take ships who would guard the prisoner. What's great about this is later on Paul would write in Philippians and those in the household of Caesar who are believers salute you in Philippians chapter 4. How did they get saved? They're chained to him. Paul would share with these guys and <laughs> that one's down. Okay, six hours you're stuck with Paul. You know, oh man, you know, this guy, he doesn't stop. And so, slowly, Paul started seeing the household, those who are part of Caesar's household, start to come to know Christ. And then later on in Philippians, he goes, oh, those who are, you know, in Caesar's household who are of the faith, salute you. Yeah, Paul's been sharing with them. 
I think that's kind of cool. Verse 17, three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brethren, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I have been arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So he wants to get those who are in in Jerusalem or in Rome there, the Jews that are there, he wants to talk to them. Again, Paul always desired to minister to those who were his brothers. We know from chapter 18 there was a lot of contention with the Jews there in Rome. In chapter 18 they were told to leave and had to disperse Rome, but now they've come back because there was this constant friction between the Roman rule over the Israeli people. They just felt like you're oppressing us. They were combative. Sometimes they'd be told to leave. Sometimes they'd come back. And here they're allowed back in Rome. And so Paul says, I want to meet with the Jewish leaders here. I want you guys to know that I am not against my people. The reason I'm in chains, the reason I've been arrested isn't because I've done something wrong against you. And the reason I appealed to Caesar isn't because I'm making a countersuit against you guys. I had to. I had to appeal to Caesar because they were trying to kill me. But I want you to know that the reason I'm here isn't because I'm out to get you. He's kind of waving the white flag here saying, you guys, I come in peace. I don't come here because I want to cause problems. I'm not here because I have anything against my people or our beliefs. That's not the case. In fact, the reason I'm here is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. The hope of Israel is the Messiah. I'm here because I believe in the Messiah. And he's going to go on and talk about this later. I think it's great that he starts a conversation with these people. Those who are against him. He doesn't go out and pick the synagogue. He doesn't try and stir up things. He goes out there and he is the one who initiates the conversation and the first thing he does is wave the white flag and says, I'm not here to cause problems. I'm here because I believe in the Messiah. It's interesting, verse 21, it says, they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Now the letters might have been on the boat that sunk, so that might be a good thing. It's like, oh, but it's kind of funny because Paul's almost uh, anticipating a problem. And there is no problem. It's like, we don't know anything bad about you. What, what are you talking about? You know, sometimes we, we make things worse. We think people are thinking more of us than they really are. <laughs> I think Ann Landers once wrote to a lady and said, you know, my dear, you would do well to think less about yourself because others already are. <laughs> you know, it, it, we have this idea that surely they're thinking about me. 
and, and Paul says, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to cause a problem. They're like, what problem? What are you talking about, Paul? We, we haven't gotten any word. And so actually that's great news. And so because they hadn't heard anything bad, verse 22, they says, but we do want to hear your views, what they are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. This sect is Christianity. We want to hear your views because we're hearing a lot of talk about Christianity. I think it's great on their part that they want to hear. They didn't just shut the door. A lot of times we'll hear different things. Have you heard about these people? They're saying these things are happening. Or I heard these Christians here, they're really, you know, involved with this. You know, and, and it could be a number of things that you might hear from people. And automatically there's a response that comes and says, oh no, if it's new, it's no good. Well, that's true to a certain point. You know, if we're teaching something new, most likely it's heresy. Because really there's nothing new. But a lot of times there is a fresh way to talk about something, a fresh work of God and the fresh work of the Spirit that you shouldn't be so close to just say, oh no, it's no good. They were welcoming a conversation. We've heard a lot of bad things about the sect, but we want to hear more about it. And so this is great. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul opened the door of conversation. They welcomed this door and even larger numbers came. A lot of people were interested. What a great opportunity that Paul has as he just does things the right way. He doesn't come down combative. You know, you guys tried to kill me in Jerusalem. I'm here to tell you what it's about. He said, guys, I'm here. Waves the white flag. Says, I haven't done anything against our faith, our belief. I'm here because of the hope of Israel, the Messiah. And they said, we've heard about you Christians. We want to hear more from you. Okay, let's meet on this day. And they come in groves. Or droves. They don't come in groves. They come in droves. I don't know. Similar, but they come in droves to, to see and hear Paul. And he talks to them and explained and declared the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is Jesus. You can't have a kingdom without a king. It's just dumb. If you have a kingdom with no king, it, it's dumb. It's about Jesus. He comes to talk to them about Jesus and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he's try, he starts to try and convince them. And this is great because now he's dealing with them on their terms. And no doubt he, he's talking about all the things throughout the scripture that point to Jesus. Remember Abraham when he went to offer his only son, Isaac? And God said he would provide himself a sacrifice? Well, that's Jesus. Remember Pentecost? That lamb that had to be slain and sprinkled on the door on the top, the bottom, and the sides? It symbols the cross. Well, well, that was Jesus. Don't you remember Jesus was crucified on Passover? Don't you remember that? Do you remember in Psalm 22 how it describes 
perfectly crucifixion, even before there was crucifixion? Well, that's Jesus. Isaiah 53. Who is he talking about? That's Jesus. All these things he's pointing to. This is about Jesus. And, And it would have been great to be a fly on that wall and to hear that discourse, to hear him talk about Jesus and dialogue with him back and forth. And verse 24, it says, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And you know what? That is always the case. Some will be convinced, some won't. Why? Because people have the right to choose. God gives our freedom of choice I think more respect than we do. God gives us the choice and says, it is up to you. Your life belongs to you. Choose which way you're going to live. And so here, some believed, some didn't. And he goes on and he says, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statements The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to you, your forefathers, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, verse 26, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God. Remember, that's Jesus, the person of Jesus, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it ends. No, no, Gary, you know, where's the more? What happened to Paul? We know that Paul did come before Nero. That he was then released. He went up into Spain and up as far as what's now Bosnia. And then as this sect of Christianity became more and more popular, Rome felt very threatened by the volume of people who were coming to faith in Christ that they started persecuting the church. Paul was then arrested and brought back before Nero and was then in a dungeon, stayed in a dungeon for a period of time in in very unpleasant quarters, and later was beheaded, was killed. We have the last words of Paul written to Timothy. In fact, let's turn there and let's just we're going to close with Paul and this person, let's look at his last words. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Starting at verse 6. Paul writing to young Timothy says, For I am ready, already being poured out like a drink offering. Remember, now he's in a dark, damp prison. He's getting ready to be beheaded. I am ready to be poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. What does he talk about? His death. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I don't think it's Dalmatia, but it looks like Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I send Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul, in the end of his writing, says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I'm ready. But he's alone except for Luke in prison. It can be pretty despairing to think this man who served God so mightily, so powerfully, so faithfully, this is how his life ends? In a dark dungeon? Alone? And the things that he desires. Well, he wants some people to come to him. Bring Mark. He's helpful. Bring the coat that I had because it's cold. And then I love this. He says, and bring the scrolls, especially the parchments. What is that? It's the scriptures. If I'm going to be here in this dark, depressing place... I want people, I want something to keep me warm, and I want the Word of God. I think that's a clue for us at how important the Scriptures are for our lives, how dependent we should be on them. Paul, in the last things that he has, he wants the Scriptures. Even in his last moments, he's still studying. I tell you, the guy's my hero. The guy's just incredible. He doesn't stop learning more about God. He doesn't, that hunger was insatiable. He just could not get enough of God. And so give me those scriptures. I need more. I need to read. I need to be closer to God. And what a picture for it, for us. Do we desire those things? Do we hunger and thirst after what is right? Do we look at the scriptures, that that word, more than my daily bread? Do we desire God the way Paul did? Because at the end of his life, even though he was alone, he had no idea, I'm sure, of the impact he would have that here we are thousands of years later talking about this man. A small little man. Wasn't much to look at, history tells us. Said he was small, balding, had a crooked nose, and his eyes were weeping because he had some kind of problem with them. Not much to look at. 
but changed the world. Why? Because he could not get enough of God. He said, I have not yet laid hold of that which has captured me. He hasn't yet laid hold of Well, now he has. He's run the race. He's fought the fight. He's finished. And I love how he says that waiting for him is that crown. And not only for me, because we could think, well, yeah, for Paul, but what about us? You know, We're just normal people, not like you. But he says, also, all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Do you long to be with Jesus? Because that's what it's about. Can't wait to be with Jesus. There's that desire. I remember, remember when I was in China for two weeks and we were smuggling Bibles and I went with the team and, and led this team into China and I left knowing my wife was pregnant with twins. And that was so difficult. And I had to go. It was my job at that time. I had to go. I guess I could have said no and looked for work. I don't know. But it was, I, I mean, I wanted to go. It wasn't like I don't want to go. But it was so hard to leave my wife behind. We talked to the doctor and said, is it okay? Can she go with us? And he said, no. And I said, uh, you know, so I had to go to China there for two weeks. And I remember flying back just thinking, I can't wait to see my wife for two weeks. Well, she, she's been growing, you know, I haven't seen. And I remember, I can remember what she was wearing. She was wearing this pink dress. It had this big belt because it had to be big now because she had a belly. She was carrying twins. And I remember she got her hair cut and her hair was short because before her hair had been pretty long, but her hair was short. And I, I just remember wanting to see her and when I saw her it was like it, it's imprinted in my mind I won't forget that image when I saw her because I so wanted to see her again do we long to see Jesus can we wait to get off of this plane get off of this road get off of this journey to get off of this race fight that fight and long for his appearance because that's what's promised for us. And so I pray that we would have that desire to push forward in this way, to desire God so that it would consume our lives. And we take these lessons that we've learned from Paul to heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you, and I, I am humbled, Lord, that you have given us so richly, Lord, things that we're able to read and, and understand and that just draws us in to see how the church was birthed, Father, and how you've taken men and women and have used them to impact the world. And Lord, we just stand humbled by them. We see them and we marvel at what you did with people just like us. And and it begs the question, Lord, what could you do with us if we would surrender as fully as they did? What would you do with us if we desired your appearing like Paul or, or cared about you like Priscilla? And Father, we are here and we want that work to take place in our lives. And 
Lord, we know that there is much to be done within us and changed within us, Lord, but that's why we're here, so that you could do that work and continue the work you've begun in each of us, Lord. I pray that that takes place. I pray even more tonight, Lord, a little more chipping away at some of the rough edges in our lives and and stoking that fire within us to to flame those things that need to burn brighter, Lord. Thank you, God, for caring so so much about us. And Lord, the hope is promised to those who love your appearing, not those who memorize the scriptures, who do all these great things, but the hope is promised to those who just want to be with you. And Lord, I pray our desire would take us 40 miles, 30 miles, a year and a half journey if we desire just to see you more clearly. Help that to take place in each of our lives, Lord. Bless everyone here. The, the requests that have been left up, lifted up to you, Kevin and Julie, my mom, Cynthia, those that we know about that have been lifting up their needs, and, and those that we don't know about, Lord. I pray that you'd continue to just bring these things to our hearts, Father. Knit our hearts together, we pray. We do love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.